Hello, Great Minds. Who knows what day it really is anymore, but either way, it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History as we get ready to remember the Maine and talk about the oldest church in the USA. So welcome to the show, everyone. As always, I'm your host, Mr. DGMH, otherwise known as Zach DeBacco. And we have hit that rocky end of the season with traveling and hurricane season causing problems and me getting fucking exhausted and classes starting up and a conference and whatever else is going on or getting in my way. Uh, so here we are at the end. Uh, we finished up the Arnold saga, and Arnold certainly was better than Alexander Hamilton, even if the majority don't agree. But we have a cast of season four great minds to square off in the Battle Royale, but as always, we have some time. Time for a little bonus season. As for today, though, I wanted to talk about my most recent travels and some of the awesome history I encountered, really, right in my backyard. But that piece, remembering the Maine, that doesn't sound like anything to do with Florida. No, today we really are shouting to hell with Spain. But why? Well, it was this popular tagline, remember the Maine to hell with Spain, that prompted and enraged the American public to push finally for war with the dying Spanish Empire in 1898. So the Spanish-American War is something we talked about in the Teddy Saga. It's Secretary of State John Hayes' so-called splendid little war. And it certainly was splendid for McKinley, for Teddy, for American imperialists, also called Jingos. But it certainly was not so splendid for the thousands that died from disease or the Filipinos who were denied independence that they were promised in the first place. And of course, it was shitty for Spain. Yes, in remembering the Maine, we recall the time that we stole Spain's empire to make our own, achieving our manifest destiny and beyond. We said it was for Cuba, we said it was for revenge, we said it was in the pursuit of our manifest destiny. Ever the Darwinist, America would spread her eagle's wings 10,000 miles from tip to fucking tip. And from the Philippines to Puerto Rico, America was born a world power. But it wasn't starving Cubans, Cuba Libre, bruised egos, imperialism, or a sunken ship that drew America into war. No, none of that would have mattered at all if it wasn't for the media, specifically Joseph Pulitzer and William Randolph Hearst, our main subject for today. Dubbed the Yellow Press for the hue of the paper that it was printed on, Pulitzer's New York World and Hearst's New York Journal built a war out of nothing like children playing with blocks, spewing out day after day the 19th century equivalent of fake or at least exaggerated news. Printing big, bold headlines that always rested somewhere between exaggeration and an outright lie, this tabloid journalism called for next to no research, just excitement, and damn did it fucking work. As these two competed for readers, they didn't really care who got swept up in the wake. Neither really less guilty than the other, but one kept the Statue of Liberty in New York, launching a campaign to see the famous symbol of liberty finally assembled, and the other is William Randolph Hearst. However, Hearst papers did coin a great many terms, including remember the main to help with Spain, and then to war we went. So naturally, for this episode, I had to go either Spanish or Cuba Libre, which I've already done a lot of on the show, so instead I went with something yellow, a yellow banana rum cocktail, frozen as Hearst Hart, but more on that later. Interestingly, Hearst even went to Cuba himself with a corps of journalists to cover this splendid little war, even sometimes called the Journal's War. All to cover Spain's fall, Cuba's liberation, and America's theft of an empire. I'm sorry, America's great achievement of building an empire. No, it was fucking stolen. Either way, he would be gifted a Cuban flag riddled with bullets from his, for his efforts in promoting and facilitating the war that in the end did in fact free Cuba. And I really don't plan to say much else about the Spanish-American War. Just go listen to the Teddy Saga for more on that. 
because today we're here to talk about William Randolph Hearst. Ironically, that wasn't the only time that we really see Hearst say to hell with Spain. His clear sentiments when he made an illegal purchase and whisked away an entire Spanish monastery stone by stone to Florida. Well, of course it isn't that simple, but still, that is what we're going to talk about today. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me, it's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. So yes, as I mentioned in the first moments of the show, we're actually going to talk about the oldest church in the USA. Actually, I should probably say that it is the oldest Christian church in all of North or South America, and it is most definitely European. And in true modeling of the Europeans, we stole it from somewhere else. The Monastery St. Bernard de Clairvaux. Today, however, it is called the Ancient Spanish Monastery. It was actually built in the medieval period, hardly ancient, but still pretty fucking old. First constructed during the Spanish Reconquista in Sacramenia, Spain, in 1133 CE, the monastery took nearly a decade to construct. The church was formally renamed in 1174 following the canonization of St. Bernard de Clairvaux, and monastics would actually inhabit the church for 700 years until the liberal revolutions of the 1830s. From there, as the state secularized, the grounds served as little more than a grain storage that would have continued to crumble into disrepair had someone not intervened. Enter our old friend William Randolph Hearst. So about 100 years later, Hearst just decided to up and buy an entire monastery, illegally I should say, dismantle it, and put it in more than 10,000 shipping crates, some of which would actually get damaged en route. And then he shipped the whole fucking monastery to New York City. Financial struggles, however, meant that the crates would be in storage for 26 years until they were sold following Hearst's death. From there, the stones were purchased in hopes of creating a tourist attraction, and thus it made its way to Florida, where it was reassembled stone by stone into what I must say was the most beautiful example of reverse imperialism that the world has ever seen. And I will say Hearst clearly admired Spanish architecture, including in his home region of San Francisco, where he built a truly Spanish-inspired castle. Either way, the ancient Spanish monastery was a truly stunning piece of European history that stands in Miami today. Now, I don't mean to sound like a total fucking pompous asshole when I say that there was something truly beautiful in the juxtaposition of medieval and modernity that existed when one simply looked beyond this relic of medieval Europe and saw the Miami skyrises filled with snowbirds likely as old as the monastery itself. But pompous or no, it's the fucking truth. It was beautiful. As to the building and the grounds, they were breathtaking, probably the highlight of my travels to the Atlantic coast, although Vizcaya was every bit as amazing. Yes, John Deering's estate in South Miami, which we also visited, is something I would honestly describe as like an American Versailles, and all this certainly made me curious of all that the U.S. has to offer. I will say, having lost our Hawaii trip to a missed storm encounter, Miami and the Keys were a great second. A lot of history, some nice beaches and watery views, plus the food. Miami is not just like Little Havana, it's like Little Spain. From sangrias to Spanish food, oh the churros, I ate so many fucking churros and they were so good. We ate and I drank my way through this local paradise. Plus, you get to stroll down the 1980s, which I'm sure for some of our listeners, not me, is a stroll down memory lane, and we got to see some great movie spots from the bird Cage and Scarface, and even the Versace Mansion. And I will say Miami has made it to the top of our travel spots. I certainly didn't expect so much great history there, but it really was awesome. And Miami's interesting, it's busy, it's fun, it's a lot of drinking. It's still great, even though we're normally in bed by 10 p.m. As for William Randolph Hearst, our little mini topic for today, well, he got his war, he got his money, and I guess in a way he got his monastery too. But he couldn't get everything he wanted. 
Hearst would inevitably fail in a bid for the presidency in 1904, several bids for New York City mayor, and even a bid for governor in 1906. But he, and even earlier, Joseph Pulitzer for that matter, would serve in the House of Representatives for two terms. I honestly didn't know that until I did the research for this episode. But after World War I, his views rapidly began to change. He would support FDR in the early 30s, but break from him before America's involvement in World War II, the very thing that pulled Hearst out of financial ruin. From there, his periodicals would go on to be very pro-Nazi, even allowing Nazis to write for his newspapers and strong-arming journalists to write favorably of Hitler's rise. Yes, it turns out that William Randolph Hearst really was a piece of shit. Either way, he would die in Beverly Hills at age 88 in 1951. His son, William Randolph Hearst Jr., would rather ironically go on to win the Pulitzer Prize for an interview he did with Nikita Khrushchev in 1955. Well, that's it. I won't be rating this yellow cocktail, but I will tell you it's fucking good. But what is not to love? Dark rum, banana rum, coconut rum, some cream, and a banana, and a few mango slices too, because why not? I had them, and they were frozen, and it kept it nice and icy. I will say it is the best fucking drink ever. At least that's going to be my DGMH interpretation on how Hearst would have put it in his newspapers. If you enjoyed this episode of Drinks with Great Minds in History, a short little filler episode of the bonus season, then we hope you'll leave the show a great, hopefully, five-star review. We also hope you'll follow us on Instagram and Twitter at DGMH History and join in the uh, conversation at the Drinks with Great Minds in History podcast Facebook group. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more content, then we hope you consider supporting the show over on the DGMH Patreon page. There you can get access to all sorts of bonus content, including last call bonus episodes, pre-game episodes, Colin Chats China, Pete Chats Portugal, Another Moment with Mr. DGMH on the 30 Years War, plus moments with Colin and myself on various topics that we'd like to cover. And what I'm teaching, Washington's words, and really a few more things along the way. It's really a bunch, there's really a bunch of great content over there, and we hope you'll go check it out. People actually say it's worth it, which is always nice to hear. So as we wrap this one up, I will say this. Visiting this medieval Spanish monastery in North Miami is a must for anyone that travels to the area. A truly splendid little sight to see but you should do so knowing how and why it is there and the cost that came with all the money it took to make it happen. A lot of war. Also, in another beautiful plot twist, in 1964, a wealthy banker named Colonel Robert Pentland purchased the site and gave it to the Episcopal Diocese of South Florida. Yes, that's right. This once Spanish Catholic church that was moved from Spain and brought to America now holds Anglican masses every Wednesday and Sunday. And to anyone that studies the messy religious history of Europe, that is fucking hilarious. Cheers. Thank you.